Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, So this is week number two. Uh, We're in Daniel chapter two, and uh, we're going to read one through 13. We hope to cover one through 23. But uh, as far as a text here, I don't. I'm, I'm going to be keeping you standing long enough reading one through thirteen. So let's let's uh, get the, the get the story here, uh, and then we'll see where the Lord has us go. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. Somebody say, unreasonable. That's quite a demand, isn't it? Quite a demand. Wow. Huh. And they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we shall show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show the interpretation thereof. And the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, uh, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other uh, that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry, very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Father, here tonight, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity. What a privilege we have to come to this great book of uh, the Bible. And Lord, just uh, look into its depths and be enriched 
by its truths. Bless us tonight as we spend a few moments around this text. Touch our hearts. Enlighten our minds. Encourage our spirits. Oh, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Daniel's firsthand experience is what we've titled this lesson. And uh, I'm talking about his firsthand experience with the sovereignty of God. That's what we're talking about. Daniel's firsthand experience with the sovereignty of God. Okay. Chapter 2, notice on your study guide, is the longest chapter in the book of Daniel. It's like 49 verses. Uh, It's what I would call one of the pivotal chapters, really not just in the book. It's a pivotal chapter in the Bible because it contains important truth about world history. Notice on your study guide, from God's point of view. And how many know his point of view is the only one that matters? We won't learn what this chapter teaches us at any secular university. But yet, folks, how many know Daniel chapter 2 is entirely trustworthy? It really is. One of the writers calls this chapter, notice on your study guide, the prophetic alphabet. Because in it we find the A, B, C's of Bible prophecy. And we're going to actually talk more about that in the weeks to come. But this chapter paints a uh, panoramic scene, really, that begins 600 years before Christ and stretches across all the centuries since then and even moves into the unknown future, okay, to the moment yet in our future of Christ's return to set up his kingdom on earth. And to make matters even more interesting, this sweeping revelation was not originally given to a prophet. It was given to a pagan king. Now, I want you to go figure that out. Don't go anywhere. I'm talking about in your mind. Go figure that out. God does what he wants to do. You can't figure him out. Right? He takes this this prophecy of at least four kingdoms and instead of giving it to one of the greats, he gives it to a pagan king. So we might call Daniel chapter 2 a dream of destiny because it reveals the rise and fall, like I said, of four great world empires. But we're not going to get into them tonight. Save that for later. It's later in the chapter. We could get there, but it'll be about midnight. I don't think none of you want to stay that long. Last week, we were introduced to a young Jewish refugee. But the great thing about this guy is that he had a heart after God. 
We titled last week's study, A Refugee with Resolve. Taken captive by the Babylonians, put into a program, a three-year program, to assimilate him, Daniel stands his ground. George Washington once said, and I like this quote, he said, few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. How many know he was right? Because most people have a price. Right? But a truly uncompromising man, uncompromising person, how do you know? Well, they're just a, a rare commodity. That's exactly the kind of man, the kind of woman that God looks for to do his work. When it comes to special tasks, when it comes to great privileges and opportunities, God wants uncompromising people with character. God wants choice servants for choice ministries. And Daniel fit that bill how many know we can too we can too Daniel was a man who wouldn't compromise Daniel was a man who had amazing character qualities and God uses Daniel as the vehicle through which he reveals the unfolding of the redemption plan of history now that's a monumental assignment to be the vehicle through which God gives a prophetic perspective on all of human history. Wow, what a calling. Somebody say, what a privilege. It all started, though, we highlighted last week, where Daniel, or when Daniel, made a very simple but yet important decision not to defile himself with the unkosher foods and in a sense, step out on a limb there in Babylon and do things God's way. And of course, that decision paid off, didn't it? We saw that. It paid off, and God not only came through for Daniel, but also promoted him to a position of influence inside the king's court. As we saw last week, Daniel would spend the next six, uh, 70, I believe it was, 70 years of his life in faithful service to God while living in a foreign country on foreign soil around foreign gods. So tonight we begin to see God at work through Daniel. And let me just kind of recap here before we move on, because some ask, really, why, why did Daniel refuse the king's food? Well, there's, I can list three good reasons, and perhaps it was a little combination of like all three. First, some of the Babylonian food would have been for, forbidden, according to Leviticus 11 and Leviticus 17, 10 through 14. For example, 
Babylon commonly consumed meats like horse and pig. Now, pork chops and bacon, that would be a temptation. Don't believe horse would be a temptation for me. I think I could join the vegetarians among us if I had to eat horse. I don't know. Both of those meats would violate the Jewish food restrictions, kosher laws. Okay. A second reason he would uh, refuse the king's meat is Jewish law forbids the eating of anything sacrificed to false gods. And that was very predominant among many cultures. And it was true in history. It makes sense here in Daniel chapter 1. When I was in uh, uh, Taiwan for a few months, we would see uh, all kinds of festivals. And they would have a large pig just spread out, burning incense to it as they offered it to their gods. And then later they would partake of it. So that's just, it's just what happens in those cultures. Eating meat sacrificed to idols has always been a problem for Jews living in the uh, diaspora, which is the dispersion of uh, condition of being taken outside their homeland. Um, and it even stayed as an issue. You know, Paul even deals with that in the New Testament, in the church at Rome, for example. <clears throat> so, so we have that issue. And then finally, the third reason that he would refuse the king's meat is that Daniel understands, I believe, that to eat the king's meat re represents accepting the king's friendship and patronage. Because in those days, to share food with someone is to commit to a relationship. We find this in Genesis 31, 54, Exodus 24, 11, Nehemiah 8, 9. So Daniel does not refuse the training of the king or the use of a new name, but he draws the line at eating the king's food because it is a public declaration of dependence on the king. Daniel's determined not to rely on Nebuchadnezzar. He deter he's determined to rely only on the Lord, his God, because he's the true king. Okay, so, so just if you had those questions, I hope that helped kind of answer them as far as why, why he would do such a thing. Now, getting back to the, uh, this evening's text, the first item of business is that God is going to reveal who's really in charge. Notice that on your study guide. Isaiah 40, 21 through 24 reminds us that regardless of how powerful a kingdom may become on this planet, none are permanent. None will last forever. Okay, 1 John 2, 17, the world passeth away, the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God, he's the one that's going to abide forever. So Adrian Rogers uh, said it before. He says people ask him all the time, uh, when he was living, ask him, what's this world coming to, Pastor Rogers? And he said, well, I'll tell you what the world's coming to is coming to Jesus. 
Jesus owns the world. It was made by him. And the Bible says it's going to come back to him at the end. So this world is going that direction. That's the continual message of the book of Daniel. Who's in charge? Okay, so Israel's been removed from their land. Israel's kings have been killed and imprisoned. Israel's nobles have been exiled into Babylon. Israel's temple has been burned. <coughs> Israel's capital has been leveled. And for 70 years, Israel will dwell under the leadership of the nations of Babylon, Media, and Persia. According uh, to man, each of those three kingdoms was supposed to last forever, but how many know none of them did? The message of Daniel is that there is but one king and one kingdom. Hello. It's a message that will be proclaimed over and over and over again through the book of Daniel, and the first person who will receive this message is Daniel. Now you say, no, 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 pastor. The first person to receive this message is going to be King Nebuchadnezzar because he's the one who had the dream. It's true, Nebuchadnezzar gets the dream, but he didn't get the point. Yes, at the end of this chapter, he, he makes a great statement in, in uh, verse 47. It says, the king answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods. And a Lord of lords and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. So you would think by that statement that Nebuchadnezzar is on the right path. That is until you cross over into chapter 3 and find out that he let that vision go to his head. And what's he do? He makes this pagan statue and forces even the Israelites to bow down to it. Somebody say, he totally missed the point. He totally missed it. So, at first, Nebuchadnezzar's day is coming. It isn't here today. Today is all about God showing Daniel who's in control. Today is all about God solidifying who he is to Daniel, his child in Babylon. And God does this by giving Daniel an opportunity that most likely made his heart skip a beat or two. Because, you know, if you, you recall some of the statements Christ made about the coming hardships on uh, his followers, like Luke chapter 12, verse 11 through 12, he says, when they bring you into the synagogues or the magistrates and the powers, he said, take no thought of what, you, uh, what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. He said, for the Holy Ghost will teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Now, we have those comforting words from Christ, but how many know Daniel didn't? It's interesting that Christ saw these times of persecutions. When you look at this in the framework of the text, he saw these times of persecution being drugged before the magistrates as an opportunity to be a clear and powerful witness for the Lord. The difference is we don't generally... Uh, see those kind of situations as opportunities, do we? We tend to see them as, oh my goodness, this is a horrible event. We just want to be delivered from it. But these are the very types of events that God uses to reveal himself both to his children and to a fallen world. And Daniel is going to get many 
of these opportunities, so-called, in his life. So it's important that Daniel know that through all of these instances, he can fully rely on God. That's what he's going to learn right here. So there's three main points that we can use as sort of an outline as we work our way through this text. Number one, we're going to call it Daniel's Dilemma. And that covers 1 through 13 that we read. Because I want you to notice, first of all, we have a relatively green king. He's inexperienced. He's now on the throne. It's only his second year on the throne. So he's basically a new world ruler. But I want you to see what he's already had the audacity to do. He has had the audacity to attack God's city, carry off God's treasures out of the temple, and exile God's people. Regardless of what type of man he appears to be, we know that at the very least, Nebuchadnezzar does not fear God. He is also, uh, it's also apparent that God is going to introduce himself to him. So it says, he dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep fled from him. Okay, and then he calls all the magicians and the astrologers, sorcerers, Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were known as the wise men of that day. Okay, and he makes this demand. So that's the setting. That's the situation. We have a pagan ruler who is quite rattled. He has turned to every form of worldly wisdom possible to get an answer. Some have wondered why Daniel wasn't there initially, uh, and the answer seems obvious because I don't, because Daniel wasn't a magician. He wasn't a sorcerer. He wasn't a Chaldean, okay? Daniel was a personal servant to the king at that time. Nebuchadnezzar seeks out every form of worldly wisdom, the kingdom over. He's looking for an answer, but notice He's no dummy. In 2 and 4 through 9, we find that he is a little skeptical and for good reason. Okay? He's seen more than his share of people who are willing to make up all sorts of stories in order to gain the king's favor. Anyone can take a newspaper and start giving out explanations as to why it's all happening and what it all means, but that doesn't mean they're right or precise, right? Anyone can do what these people were willing to do. For that matter, tell me your dream. I'll interpret it for you. I can make up things, right? Just as, just as quick as the next guy. Now, whether or not they're correct, it's a different story. Nebuchadnezzar knew that. And at this point, he is, he is rattled enough that he isn't interested in an entertaining story or an amusing story. Nebuchadnezzar is wanting the truth. There are times that we see people with, what's the scripture call them, itching ears, who only want to be told something they like, but this is not what old Nebuchadnezzar wants right here. He wants the truth, and the only way he can be sure that one of these people has access to it is if they can first identify the dream. 
this is a major problem for a mortal man. Right? They, that's what they tell him in, in verses 10 and 11. They're obviously correct there. They're like, that's an unreasonable. No king has ever made that demand of his. There's no, no man on earth, they say, that could do this. Now, how many know this is certainly a matter for God to intervene in? And the problem Babylon's wise men had was they didn't know of a God, any God, who would be willing to help them out. They told the king, there's not a man upon the earth that can show you the king's matter except the gods. And they don't live around here. Right? They don't even live in the fleshly realm. So, so do you see what's happening here? The story is building. The story is building. Everyone is starting to realize, is the king really serious? Then we've got a problem. The king is demanding something only the gods can supply, and it is common knowledge that the gods are not going to be helping us out. So it's a big dilemma. The king is furious in 12 and 13. That is what we call Daniel's dilemma. The king has a problem that Daniel wasn't consulted about. All the wise men in the kingdom said the king was being unreasonable, and now there is a death sentence in which Daniel is included. Hmm. So let's not minimize the difficulty of this situation. Notice on your study guide, Daniel's only hope is if his God is willing to do for him what no one else's God is willing to do for them. This is a terrifying scene. And I would be willing to bet, although I'm not a betting man, that Daniel has wondered more than once as to just what kind of God he's actually serving because you got to remember the setting you got to remember the facts daniel has just seen his army fall to the babylonian army he has seen his god's temple robbed by the babylonians daniel has been exiled to babylon in the midst of a people who couldn't care less about who his god was God has chosen to seemingly set by and just let all these things happen. I have to think Daniel was getting a little nervous. Come on. But I like the fact that he doesn't let that stop him from exercising his faith. Okay, so number one, we have Daniel's dilemma. Number two, we have Daniel's decision. And that's in 14 through 18. 14 through 18. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He runs to the very guy who's looking to slay him. Did you see that? He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? 
Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven. Concerning this secret that Daniel and his uh, fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so think about what's happening here, church. Daniel runs to the man who has been ordered to kill him. But if you will recall, Daniel has already been given wisdom of God back in verse 17 of chapter 1. And God has given uh, Daniel intelligence, and it's obvious that Daniel uses that God-given intelligence right here. And Daniel goes and requests of the king, notice on your study guide, that he would give him some time in order that he might declare the dream and its interpretation to the king. If you're keeping score, you will remember that the king already rebuked the other wise men for seeking more time, Right? So it's obvious that the king truly wanted to know the meaning of the dream and that Daniel and his appeal must have convinced the king that he could surely deliver the truth to him. And then Daniel makes his decision. In 17 and 18, they went in to the house and they requested the compassion from the God of heaven. It wasn't a question of whether or not God knew the meaning of the dream. It was a question of whether or not God would help or if he would just be like all the other God's little G. And Daniel, what is he doing here? He is putting it all on the shoulders of God. That's what he's doing. I look at this, and I think this can be likened to events like Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac. Because after Abraham was stopped by God and saw the ram caught in the thicket, he named that place the Lord provides. The idea being that Abraham might have realized that God was a provider before. Yeah, he probably already realized that. But on this day, it was solidified. It was verified. It was confirmed. Right? This is sort of the education that Daniel is going to get as God is about to reveal himself to Daniel in the very way in which Daniel asks him to. God is about to prove himself to be Daniel's God. And the lesson highlights is that God is going to prove his compassion because he's going to answer. God is going to reveal his faithfulness because he comes through for Daniel. And God is going to reveal his wisdom because he's going to help him interpret the dream. God is going to reveal his sovereignty. That's what the dream reveals. In this terrifying moment, Daniel does what none other wise men would do, and that is Daniel seeks God. So you have Daniel's dilemma. Daniel's decision, finally, Daniel's declaration. That's 19 through 23. Oh, praise God. Look here. Then, everybody say then. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness. And the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Hmm. Those are encouraging, life-saving words right there. Hmm? We'll get to the uh, details of what the vision was in, in uh, time, Lord willing. But the main point here is that God came through. Right? Do you see that? How many know God came through for Daniel in chapter 1? Because usually, you don't eat broth and veggies and gain weight. Hmm? Usually you eat them to diet, to lose weight. So he come through for Daniel and his friends in chapter 1. And once again, how many know God's record is unfailing? So I say he's faithful. God did what the other wise men said he would not do. God answered Daniel, gave him the facts about the dream. And it says, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. I would imagine so. I said, I would imagine so. And what, he, and what we notice is that here Daniel learns two great truths about God. Now, I'm not sure. Remember, he's, he's just been taken into Babylon. He's a young, young man. But here he, know, he finds out two truths about God. Number one, God is the source of wisdom. If Daniel didn't know it before, he knows it now. Daniel knows that wisdom and power belong to him. Paul wrote in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God isn't just wise, church. He owns all wisdom. He is the source of it. The fountainhead. There is no wisdom apart from him. Wisdom is a, com a, a commodity that we can't just pull out of our hat. Its only source is God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.19, For the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and again the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Any wisdom we can gain from this world is, in a sense, no value before God. In fact, compared to God's wisdom, it's actually foolishness. Oh, come on now. Help me, church. 
Why? Because God's the source of all wisdom. Think about it. Daniel spent all that time in the Babylonian training. Daniel was educated. Daniel was assimilated. But none of that helped him or anyone else when the king wanted information that only God could provide. Such it is with the world. I'm not knocking education. Go ahead and get you as much as you can. Right? Because I understand from a worldly point of view, education can help you succeed in the world. Right? But education in the world will not help you necessarily succeed in eternity or in spiritual matters. Right? That is a wisdom that only comes from God. And Daniel realizes that. And he praises God for that. And that brings us to the second reality. God is not only the source of wisdom. Number two, God is the sharer of that wisdom. Oh, church, God not only knows all the answers, but what made God especially important to Daniel is that he revealed those answers. Daniel found out that not only did God have wisdom, but if we pray to him, God will share his wisdom. Aren't you glad for that? Have you ever been up against a situation you needed God's wisdom? You prayed and he provided. Hello. James 1, 5 through 8. James 3, 13 through 18. Luke 21, 12 through 15. It says you got to ask. Any man lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. Why? Because God's the source of all wisdom and God shares the wisdom. That's precisely what God did for Daniel. God came through. If Daniel had any doubts as to God's faithfulness or his involvement, he does not have those doubts any longer. This event, uh, uh, its purpose was to teach Daniel that his God was still in total control, even right there in Babylon. Perhaps you've had an area in your life where God has proven himself. Hello? How about on this side? Got it? Yeah. There's a few. How about here? Yeah. How about over here? Yeah. Has he proved himself? Yeah. And most likely that area where God has proven himself most faithfully to you may just be the area where God plans to use you in the future. Because Daniel would be called upon more than once to share this kind of wisdom. It was vitally important that he first learned the source and the sharer of the wisdom, of all wisdom. How many times did God prove himself to Moses before asking him to stand before Pharaoh and to walk through the Red Sea? How many times did Christ prove himself to Peter before using him to preach to the masses at Pentecost? See, the idea is simple. Before God asked Daniel to proclaim God to the world, God first proved himself to Daniel. He was proving to be Daniel's God. Think about those areas where God has already proven himself to you. 
I want you to think about those. His faithfulness. His provision. His protection. His comfort. His wisdom. His compassion. His mercy. His grace. His forgiveness. See, the areas where God has most revealed himself to you could very well be the areas where God most desires to use you to reveal him to others. This is clearly what God is doing here to to Daniel. Before asking Daniel to reveal that he was the sovereign God in control of all things, he first makes sure Daniel gets that lesson himself. Praise God. Oh, mercy, we got to conclude here. But there's a verse that I want to read from Job 42, verse 5. Job is speaking to God, and he says after his whole ordeal, if you remember that whole ordeal that Job went through, he says this, he says, I have heard of thee, God, talking to God, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye hath seen thee. There has to come a time in all of our lives where we, like Daniel and Job, enter into a first-hand experience with God. Hello? Job says, in the past, I only knew what others had told me about you, Lord, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. That speaks to all of us about our own journey as believers. So much of our relationship with God can be built upon second-hand knowledge. What other people has told us, what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa told us about God. But there has to become a time in our lives where we get beyond what they said and we enter into a first-hand experience where we can say with Job, we have not only heard about you from others, but we have encountered you for ourselves. God knew that if Daniel was going to remain faithful in Babylon, he would need to move from a second-hand knowledge to a personal first-hand encounter with a sovereign God who reveals mysteries. Nothing is hid from this God. The real danger is that second-hand knowledge of God can easily lead to a misrepresentation of God and ultimately to a misapplication of truth. So I want to ask you here this evening as we conclude. Do we have a second-hand knowledge? Just what people has told us about God? Or do we have a first-hand experience like Daniel did? I think this experience was going to be one that he is going to look back on for years to come. And say, God, if you did it back then... You can do it again. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm not asking us how much we believe as far as doctrinally. I'm asking us, do we have a true knowledge of God experientially? Part of the problem here is the word knowledge has changed in our modern English language from what it meant in the original biblical context. When we... When we talk about knowledge today, we think of an intellectual accumulation uh, of information. But that's not what it meant in the Bible days. Knowledge meant an intimate relationship where you're not just acquainted with somebody, but you know their real identity. 
knowledge in the Bible sense is based on relationship and, and great deep spiritual intimacy. And so it's in that sense that I'm asking us, do we know God? It's certainly a time to ditch secondhand religion and get a faith of our own. Get a faith of our own. And that's what Daniel needed at the beginning of his book. And that's what we need today. Because have you looked around recently? Have you listened to the news recently? We're in Babylon. America has become modern day Babylon. Got to close. Next week, we're going to find out what the dream was all about. Don't miss it. Father, let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time tonight in the text. Lord, help the men and the women and the young people in here and myself. God, to be like Daniel. To have such uncompromising commitment that we develop the kind of character we see manifested in Daniel and be able to, like him, function in the midst of a crisis function in the midst of a crisis we want to be a people fit for the master's use like Daniel was so God as we stand together all over this house make it your prayer God give us Daniel's kind of character how many would say Lord use us to proclaim and live your truth and bring others to do the same make us the kind of people that you can depend on mold us Lord to be what you want us to be for your glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. His altars are open. If you can spend a few moments in prayer, God richly bless you. Remember, ladies, tomorrow night, ladies' uh, prayer is canceled due to the fact that they'll be traveling back. God bless you. Let's find a place. Would you dare to be a Daniel? How about it? How about it? Get a first-hand experience. Have a first-hand encounter with the sovereign God. It'll change your life. It really will. Hallelujah. The more I seek you, the more I find